Hi, welcome to Ruin My Life, a podcast about forcing your friends to like the things you like. I'm Jason Edwards. I'm Kelsey Goldman. Kelsey, we're back. We're back. It's not even been that long. It's been two weeks. It's been our normal two weeks. We, we've gone like... It's actually been less between recordings. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, this is part two of last episode. Mm-hmm. We are following up on our most recent episode about Mission Impossible. We watched the first three and discussed them in our previous episode. If you'd like to listen to that episode first... I would recommend it, but you don't need to. You don't need to. Much like the Mission Impossible movies, these episodes are standalone features. A new new trilogy. Yes, this is a, you know, it's a separate trilogy. I made the comparison last episode that this was like the original trilogy of Star Wars if it was released Mm -hmm. after the prequel trilogy, which is somehow does does a disservice to both Star Wars and Mission Impossible, (laughs) but I think you get what I'm coming from. Yeah, it's the better chunk. Yes. So this episode, this episode, our 69th. Nice. Nice. We will be discussing Missions Impossible, Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, and Fallout. Fallout. So, Kelsey. Yes. Before we get into the movies in particular, uh, how, how do you feel about this batch? Because I think I think these are it's 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 easier to discuss these as a batch. I agree. Than the first three. So I think that. In Mission Impossible 3, we're seeing, like, the series kind of find its feet a little bit um, and, like, lean into what it what it is a little bit more than the first two. And, like, um, in 4, 5, and 6, like, it knows what it's about. And these movies, these movies, let me tell you, Jason, they're good. That's right, folks. Put it up on the board. I they're got good. one. They're good. I, I, I got one. <laughs> This is maybe what one of like five things where you've actually like really enjoyed it that I've showed you. I don't think I feel like there's more than that. I, I just feel like universally I'm I'm a little bit more you know I'm just a little more receptive I guess. A little more what? Receptive. I think that's probably true. I'm not gonna fight you on that. I think you are probably more receptive in, than me in liking stuff. But I don't want to get bogged down in past failures, much like the Mission Impossible series itself. Right. I want to move forward and build upon what we've what we've already gained. Mm. So to set the stage. The first three movies directed by three different directors. You, you, you had Brian De Palma, you mm-hmm. had John Woo, and you had J.J. Abrams. Very different visions. They're all gone. Well, sort of. J.J. Abrams is not gone. He actually he's producer. His company continues to produce these up to this to the present day. Yeah. Bad Robot is still one of the production companies that makes Mission Impossible. After the first three, we left off in 2006. These three movies. Ghost Protocol, directed by Brad Bird, mm-hmm. he of The Incredibles, Ratatouille. Tomorrowland. Uh, t- t- later on, Tomorrowland. <laughs> uh, and then also later on, The Incredibles 2, which is not good, and I don't recommend it. <laughs> uh, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation and Fallout, the fifth and sixth, sixth movie, actually directed by the same person, a man named Christopher McQuarrie, yeah. who we will get more into, uh, you know, we'll discuss him in depth more later. But these movies are, you know, they, they feel more of a, of a piece than the first three. We've, we've sort of, uh, we've been to the point of the franchise sort of around, you know, when you know, comparing this to Fast and the Furious, we have now entered the, the, post, uh, the post-Tokyo Drift era yeah. where the, the movies are bringing in old characters. They're like calling back to old plot lines and like reintroducing things that were not really a factor for several, uh, uh, I almost yeah. said episodes, several films in a row. So they're ghost, just long episodes. <laughs> they're long episodes, but not in the way that say the Marvel movies are in yeah. our long episodes. 
So 2011, it's been five years since Mission Impossible 3. Tom Cruise's star is waning a little bit. You know, he's not he's not the big name he once was. He's still doing pretty good. Is he divorced again yet? Yes. <laughs> I think this is about the time he got divorced. From Katie Holmes. From Katie Holmes, yeah. Mm-hmm. He is, Um, I think this is also post like night and day with Cameron Diaz, Ooh. which is a pretty big flop if I remember correctly. Yeah. But he's not doing quite so hot. Right. So the, in the lead of the Ghost Protocol, the fourth Mission Impossible movie, there's a lot we don't know about the pre-production uh, situation but what we do know seems to indicate that there was talk at some point of tom cruise not being the focus of the franchise going forward Interesting. there was apparently talk about this uh, movie not even being called mission impossible not even having that name attached to it there's Ghost a there's protocol. there's rumors that he was going to take the role that josh holloway from lost eventually took where he yeah. basically dies in the first two minutes of the movie <laughs> Uh, and it seems like there was uh, the possibility that they would get someone else to, to come in and take over the franchise. Someone by the name of Jeremy Renner. Oh, Jeremy Renner. Who who I think we discussed this last time. They tried to do the same thing with him for the Bourne movies. Yeah. I can't remember if we discussed that on the podcast or if we discussed it yeah. outside the podcast. Well, as we, as, well <laughs> there were three Bourne movies right. with Matt Damon. Yeah. And then they tried to, you know, tried to bring in a new, a fresh new face, sort of shake things up in the form of Jeremy Renner. Oh, Jeremy. And it did not take... And for the fifth born movie, they brought back Matt Damon. <laughs> the fifth and final. And the, the less said about that movie, the better. Yep. <laughs> but what we ended up with was a movie starring Tom Cruise, like, like all the Mission Impossible movies. As, as it should be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's so nuts to think about that now, like right? Tom Cruise not being in the Mission Impossible movies. Like, I feel like even when he like can't do the stunts anymore, he still has to like be in them. Right. Well, they just won't make him at that point. Or, like, he has to handpick who they pass it off to. Right, exactly. <laughs> who is the next Tom <laughs> So Tom Cruise is back. Simon Pegg is back yeah. in a much expanded role because Benji got his field certification between movies to sort of explain why. Because clearly people love Benji in the third movie. Cause Benji's it's a, great. Because Simon Pegg. Honestly, Simon Pegg, Simon Pegg is just... Give, so, give Simon Pegg more shit. So they had, they had the... Well, I guess, you know, who her, who he did that call is... is Brad Bird and the direct and the producers of yeah. Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol. Mm-hmm. It's Brad Bird's first live action movie. Mm-hmm. It is it, 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 like I said, Tom Cruise is back. Simon Pegg's here. Uh, other than that, um, we got Jeremy Renner on the team. Yeah. it's mostly it's, it's mostly a new cast. Mostly here. a new cast, other than uh, those two. Yeah, this is weird. This is weird because even though this is the fourth movie, it is in it, in again another comparison to Fast and Furious. It's kind of like the Tokyo Drift. Yeah. Where it's a noticeably lighter tone than maybe some of the stuff around it, but still part of the. It's like Tokyo Drift meets the second movie. <laughs> it's like Tokyo Drift meets Too Fast, Too Furious in one. Um, and I'm not sure the best way to, to proceed, but I'll just say basically this movie is another straightforward mission. Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt. Yeah. He's back. He's in prison. Uh, the movie opens with him being broken out of prison. I'm not going to belabor the plot too much because, again, it doesn't really super matter. <laughs> but basically, he's broken out of prison by his team and, and alerted that there's a. New threat brewing out in the world. There's a there's a new guy who wants to, you know, inflict mass suffering and death on the world for vaguely defined like philosophical reasons. Whatever he's out there, and, and Tom Cruise is back on the team. They're going through their mission, and it's basically once again a a excuse for Tom Cruise to do a lot of uh, six stunts, a lot of six stunts, <laughs> and for some intrigue and cool like spy shit to happen. Mm-hmm. For missions to be set up as like hard, maybe even impossible. But then have them pull off anyway. Yeah. This movie has, I think, possibly the most, not the most. No, that comes later. Yes. (laughs) But the second most, like, 
cringing I can't believe he's doing this moments. Yeah, so <laughs> so where where's where's three so so two introduce this thing with him doing the uh, the free soloing. Right. There's this element of Tom Cruise like doing Hanging in, off incredibly shit. horrifying and dangerous <laughs> stuff for the movie. Three sort of backed off from that a little bit, though mm-hmm. he still almost got run over by a truck. Yeah. But there was still some green screen like studio like set stunt work in three. Mm-hmm. Four, that's all gone. Because nope. in four there's mm-hmm. a sequence that the sort of the centerpiece of the movie is like I guess probably the you know the most iconic thing in the movie, maybe maybe, well maybe second most iconic in the whole franchise after the Langley heist from the from the first movie. Yeah. Uh, Tom Cruise is, for reasons that again I'm not going to go into too much depth about, but <laughs> the point is Tom Cruise is on the side of the Burj Khalifa, yeah. the tallest building in the world. It's made of glass. It is made of glass, <laughs> and it's he's up there. And he's climbing it. He's climbing it with some sticky ass gloves. With sticky gloves. He's Spider-Man in that shit. One one fun element that gets introduced in this movie that's not really present in the first 3. Uh the the I mean I didn't really think about this until it was pointed out to me, but the equipment breaks in this one. Mm-hmm. Things like don't work right. Things sort of like shut down and glitch out and they have to adapt around that. Which is appreciated because it's a government agency. Yeah, They're probably yeah. underfunded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know it's it's good to you know so throw some more challenges Ethan's way because <laughs> Ethan is such a hyper competent character that you have to. Yeah. Yeah. He he's never going to fail basically. Right. But weirdly that that doesn't bother me because Ethan's like being good at his job is is really the defining element of his character. Yeah, and you're not like I think this is also like to the point of um, like the third movie. It's like you're not being asked to identify with him. Right. Um. Yeah. <laughs> you're not being you're not being asked to identify with him um you're being asked to identify with people around him um which i think is a much better like way to do it they even after the third movie gave ethan a family life with his wife julia and sort of a you know an entire subplot that eventually fed into the main plot about him trying to just like settle down and be a married guy this movie that's totally gone yep. uh julia is not you know is out of the picture there's some it's not really she almost died so yeah it's not really addressed early on but there's a, there's a reference in the first half hour or so from Benji about oh sorry to hear about you and Julia breaking up yeah. uh, which is all we hear about it for like the first hour and then there's a reveal later on that uh Jeremy Renner's character Brent this new this new sort of Brent. guy is like he's a he's an analyst but it's like does he have a pass as an agent what's his deal yeah because he's like super competent in like actiony stuff yeah he's introduced <laughs> as basically the the, the assistant to Tom Wilkinson, who is the head of the IMF for yeah. all of like five minutes of screen time yeah. before he is blown up. Yeah. And then he's, you know, sort of hanging, hanging out with Ethan for the rest of the movie. But there's a reveal that he was involved in this mission that, that ended with Julia being killed. So for the, for, for the last like hour or so of the movie, we're sort of operating under the impression that, oh, you know, Ethan tried to have a normal family life and he, he it, it blew up in his face, just like Luther said it would. He couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And now he's like this haunted, you know, tortured empty shell of a man and you know they basically we it's it, i wouldn't say they, they we were led to believe that julia was fridged so much but as, we are yeah well fridging i think is about motivating the characters yeah so like if it's not a motivation for ethan to keep doing what he's doing then it doesn't really count because like the villain of this movie didn't didn't touch julia the, julia yeah. would died off screen for totally unrelated reasons right. so it is sort of fridging but not really yeah but it feels kind of like it's kind of it's kind of a bummer Although it does a good job of, of, of drawing Brent back into the storyline in yeah. a much more, like, compelling, direct way. I will say that um, Jeremy Renner as, as Brent is, like, the, the most interesting character I've seen him play. Like, I know that sounds dumb, but he's, like, or maybe m- m- most charismatic. I don't know if that's, like, because he plays, like, the straight man. 
most of the time. And he does that here, but in a way that he's pointing out like how ridiculous the stuff that Ethan does is. And like, it's so easy to identify with that. He's playing basically like the war nerd. Yeah. <laughs> like he's the analyst who works at the IMF, which is such a bizarre prosaic job to have. He's, it's such an insane or agency that does so much the, like nonsense. He's the spy project manager. Yeah. <laughs> and then, but then you find out he's also an ex-agent. Yeah. So it sort of is, it, the characterization makes a little more sense for Jeremy Renner once you see that he's not just some, you know, behind the desk, like security guy. He's like a actually he's been in the field and fought people before. He can, you know, he's pretty quick with the steel if you catch my drift. Mm-hmm. He's no geek off the street. Um, but 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 also the, to your point, the tone of this movie is much lighter than the first three. Yeah, it is much more perhaps owing to Brad Bird's uh, past in Pixar. It's much funnier. Mm-hmm. There's more gags. There's a, there's an there's a joke I really like early on where the um, the payphone where Ethan is given his first mission for the movie is supposed to self-destruct but it doesn't <laughs> so Ethan has to walk all the way back into it and like hit it like the, like the fawns <laughs> before it blows up there's the part where they have to board the moving train by doing the eye scan on the side of the moving train car that's that's not in this one it is it is yeah because it, it's 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 uh it's oh, Ethan right. and, and yeah. brands like jumping yeah. up and down on yeah. the side of the train car because <laughs> Tom Cruise is very short yeah <laughs> and yeah it's, it's 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 good it's charming I didn't sort of want to circle back around to Burj Khalifa just to say it's horrifying yeah because he's up there, his glove is breaking, and obviously you know Tom Cruise isn't really in danger because he's, he's like, like in a harness. He's in a harness. And he's like, but at the same time, he is really up there. He's really far up. Like he's not he's out like of danger. Fucking far up. Like he's 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 really on the side of the world's tallest building, like probably like 150 stories stories up. Like yeah. it's oh. yeah, it's like it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is the um, it's a it's an improvement over the the soloing in in the second movie because it actually has a purpose. Yeah. Or is the second movie's he's uh, just doing it for fun? He was, he was sort of just a pop. But as I did say, it kind of brings back that from the second movie and makes that almost seem like it had a purpose, like he's training. Yes. <laughs> yes. Great sequence. Oh, that's later too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll we'll see we'll see more of that like, coming up. Yeah. Did you like this one, Kelsey? I did. I did like this one. I thought. Um, I like Brant as a character. I like more Benji. Oh, um, Benji's great. We got Luther at the end for like a hot second. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the, the sort of non-fridging, if we want to discuss that. Um, yeah. Did we talk about that? If we, if we want to, because that yeah. is, again, I, I, I alluded to this in the first episode that these yeah. movies have a, a strangely like emotional impact on me, <laughs> which is mostly tied to the way the movies handle the character of Julia. Mm-hmm. Because, again, this thing where Ethan is all suddenly married in three, clearly influenced by... Both J.J. Abrams, just his uh, his personal style, mm-hmm. and Tom Cruise wanting to seem like a relatable family man who's like getting married and settling down, just like a normal human, not an alien at all, not a weird, crazy <laughs> man with uh you know with dead eyes. But we like we find out but, in this one that she didn't die, she wasn't killed. Yes, the, yes, because I was I was sort of bummed out that the movies would just dispose of Julia like that, and it was like, but it seems typical, like it seems like a thing these movies would do. Mm-hmm. So you're not surprised, but it's disappointing. But the, at the very end, of, like the very last thing in the movie, is the reveal that Juliet is not dead, that they Ethan faked her death. She was really captured at some point, but mm-hmm. it's not. I'm sort of unclear on how that actually plays out. But she was captured at some point. She was in danger, mm-hmm. and they use that as a excuse to fake her death. But now she is still out in the world. Uh, her and Ethan split up because, as this movie puts it, um, you know, basically she she wouldn't be satisfied knowing that he wasn't uh wasn't out there saving the world (laughs) 
or that it was never it was never it was just never going to work between it them. was never going to work it's articulated more later on not yeah. to get ahead of myself but it sort of is you know it, it's portrayed as like it was best for both of them yeah it was an amicable split yeah and now she's still alive when he sees her in the last few minutes of the movie he sort of is mm-hmm. watching her from afar and she which is creepy for a second but then she turns and sees him and she gives him like a nice smile and a wave so she's not surprised to see him yeah. so i think that we get the, the the feeling that they have seen each other at some point since mm-hmm. or that they are still you know they're not in contact so much yeah. but she's alive she seems to be doing well she's back to being a doctor it looks like in this movie um, so i don't know if you, that really i don't know how you felt about that but i that's my first i mean because because one sorry <laughs> one more thing because going forward also with julia is it is this feeling of like the third movie now i watch and i sort of feel more invested in their relationship because i know the movie even though it sort of nixes their marriage after one film continues to sort of treat the character julia with some degree of empathy and, and dignity that you would not necessarily expect that was not really you know they could have not done that and i don't think many people would have complained i think for me i didn't really have that much feeling about it until the sixth movie um because i'm always wary that they're gonna do what you would do with that character in a stereotypical way, bring her back, have her kidnapped, you know, some sort of motivational thing for that character. Um, so I think I wasn't really invested in it until she comes back in the sixth movie. Right. Yeah. Which so, we will talk about. Yeah, that's a, that's a bigger <laughs> thing with Julia, but I think it's a nice little grace note in four. Yeah. Where you get the sort of fun... Uh, I don't remember if I cut this out of the episode or not, but we discussed my feeling that the, these movies are... You know, if, if the parallel between this series and Fast and Furious was perfect, there would be a missing movie between three yeah. and four, uh, or between two and three. Sorry, yeah. but I realized watching four, four is that movie. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the like it's the it's the lighter tone. It's a straightforward mission movie. There's not much like in the way of outside personal dynamics yeah. getting involved, but it's a, it's a, the tone is lighter. There's some nice jokes. Yeah. At the end, uh, it, it ends with the you know, Luther's not in the whole movie, which is a bummer because we love Luther and he's the one continuing thread throughout the first few movies. But we do see him at the very end yeah. where he is sort of both – he's helped out basically with cleanup for the final mission, for the finale of this mission. Mm-hmm. But you also get the feeling that him and Ethan just hang out sometimes and get beers and talk about all the crazy shit that Ethan is doing. Yeah, I think my one sort of complaint about the team is this, of this movie is that Jane, I want to say her name is. Oh, we didn't mention Paula Patton. Yeah, who is Paula the, Patton. the fourth I, member of the team. I think her character is not – like, she feels like she's just there to be the girl character. Yeah. <laughs> and that's upsetting. Like, she has more lines than, like, Maggie Q's character in three. But, like, I thought Maggie Q's character was almost more compelling. Because <laughs> yeah, we didn't know that much about her. Yeah. Well, as you pointed out, we do we, we get a few glimpses of Maggie Q's relationship with, like, John John Reese. Yeah. The, the other guy in yeah, three. Yeah, John Reese Myers. And we don't yeah. learn a lot about them. But, that yeah, that does sort of make their interactions all the more, like, yeah, interesting. Like they have a previous... Like yeah. the, all of them have this previous relationship, and it's like I want those two characters back just for right. fun. Like if I could get John McQuarrie to just be like, just, just bring these two back just yes. for funsies, it's just for like a like a one like mission like climax deal. Yeah, it'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, at this point, that could happen, honestly. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So so Paul Ben's character is yeah. she gets she does she just gets to do fun stuff. Yeah. So everyone gets to do stuff, but she doesn't. She is. Even by this series' history with female characters, she is yeah. underserved. Yeah, she, uh, I mean, and no, you know, she does the stunts well. She's a fine actress. Like, I just feel like the character is not written very well. Um, and I think it, it, it could have, that's like my one complaint. Um, 
because it could have been really cool to have a woman of color in the in in an interesting role like the role that um rebecca ferguson gets in the fourth and fifth one you know yes so i believe after the fourth movie you said you felt there was still something missing that would make you really love these movies yes and I said, just wait till number five. Yes. Because number five, well, a little bit more behind the curtain action here. <laughs> uh, part, so my personal theory about what happened with four is that four was originally meant to position Jeremy Renner as the next lead of the franchise. Mm-hmm. And even though I think in, the, in the, the original form of the script, the fully formed script, Ethan probably didn't die. But I think Brant was probably more centered in a way where he was clearly going to be like the face of the franchise moving forward if they made another one. Mm-hmm. But there was a rewrite of the script before it was shot. And the rewrite was done by Christopher McQuarrie. Christopher McQuarrie. Sorry. Christopher McQuarrie, who I had worked John with Tom Cruise. Earlier, my yeah. bad. <laughs> uh, Christopher McQuarrie, who had worked with Tom Cruise before, most notably on Valkyrie. He, he wrote The Usual Suspects, directed by Brian Singer. Uh, he wrote that in the 90s, won the Oscar for it for Best Screenplay. Interesting. And then didn't really do much for like 10 years. And he came back with Valkyrie, which was the movie where Tom Cruise was a, was, was a, a an SS agent basically, and was like doing a plot against Hitler. Sure. Okay. Well, no one really saw it. Like it was not <laughs> a popular movie. But he and he and Tom Cruise hooked up at some point. On well, I guess they hooked up during Valkyrie, and after that they sort of worked together. They've been working together for years now. He directed the first Jack Reacher movie. Hmm. He made. Uh, he wrote. Sorry, Edge of Tomorrow, which is a very good movie. Also That's with Tom Cruise. Things. That's the one with Emily Blunt, right? Yeah. Yeah. Good movie. And so they've been sort of working together for a few years now. And uh, I guess they'd really only been working together once before, before um, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Mm-hmm. So Christopher McQuarrie rewrote it. Mm-hmm. And then when the time came to make a new Mission Impossible movie, Christopher McQuarrie took over in the director's chair as well. And he brought on, well, first of all, he brought on a degree of skill and finesse and continuity to the franchise that had continuity. not existed at this point. <laughs> And he really, like, all the elements were, it was like they spent the first four movies sort of testing things out. And then Christopher McCord came on board and they were like, okay, everything is locked into place. We've got it. Let's do it. We've assembled the ultimate team. The ultimate team is here. And they made Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Rogue Nation. 2015. Great movie. Great. Fucking good, Even above Ghost Protocol, which is still very good. A massive step up for the franchise. Yeah. I can't remember... What I said my definitive ranking was after we watched the last one. Yeah. But I think I said this one was the best one. Yes. <laughs> so Rogue Nation, just to, you go ahead and establish this. As we said, Rogue Nation and Fallout, yeah. 2018's Fallout, directed by Chris McCrory. Both, yeah, again, the most closely connected of any two films in this mm-hmm. series. Mm-hmm. But also the ones that draw the most on previous movies. Mm-hmm. Six especially, Fallout has a lot of callbacks to the to the rest of the franchise. But five really, it begins with like that classic scene. We have this in... This happens in the MCU all the time again, mm-hmm. where there's a character who sort of is against our heroes, Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin comes on board for this oh, movie. Oh, yeah, Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. That was the missing piece, really. It was Alec Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> Alec Baldwin comes on board as Alan Hunt- Hunley, director of the CIA, who is you know very against the IMF and their whole, they're, 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 they're just, you know, as he puts it at one point, the, their successes they're carte blanche. look like luck yeah. more than they do skill or 
maybe it's another character who says that who's reacting to what Alan is saying, whatever. He's not a big fan of the IMF. He's trying to get him shut down. And he has the scene that in the beginning of the movie where he's like, they did this in the fourth movie and this in the third movie. And, you know, not he's not saying that. But he's yeah. like, look at them. They endangered all these people and they just sort of do, they're doing all this random stuff and they're like, they're out of control. We need to shut this this thing down. Yeah. Um, and so we're already, we begin with the grounding us in the series in a way that we're usually not. Like usually the movies begin with a big, you know, flashy set piece, which this one does too. This is again, they, again, the bar on Tom Cruise stunt work gets raised immediately. What's the opening stunt with this one? The opening of this one is when he's strapped on the side, the side of the plane. Oh, yeah. He's hanging outside of a pl- yeah, plane yeah. As, it, as it lifts off. Yeah. Oof. Tom Cruise is crazy. Yes. So, so Tom But that's Cru- not why these movies are good. I mean, it's part of why these movies are good, but it's yes. not. Simon Pegg is back. Benji's Pegg is still back. a major character. Ving Rhames is back. Luther! Luther's back, in the, again, part of the team. Yeah. Brent is back as the... Jeremy Renner's back. The producer, essentially. The project the, manager the of the project, spies. The project manager, <laughs> the man on the ground. He's not out in the field, but he's sort of yeah. behind the scenes. I love him as that, ca- that role, too. I great, think it's very good. Great use of Jeremy Renner, by the way. Honestly, great use of him. so good. So good. And it brings on board, and this is the thing I really meant when I said there's a car- an element that's going to really bring you on board, Kelsey. Mm-hmm. Rebecca Ferguson. Yeah. As Ilsa Faust, who is an MI6 agent, basically the British Ethan Hunt. Mm-hmm. And she has a, basically has her own plot line throughout five and six. Yeah. She, I, I kind of, I don't want to, I'm worried I'm going to get too, too, too granular if I try to really break this down. But her, she has her own goals, her own sort of storyline, her own background, her own mission, and her own really strong agency in this movie. And the way that intersects with Ethan's mission, so it's sort of both, you know, he, she aids him and also like, gets in his way sometimes so it sort of complicates and problematizes the, the story mm-hmm. of the of the movies five and six in a way that it just enhances the the drama and the intrigue and the action yeah. and she's also just a female character who sticks around for more than one movie which is it's nice yeah it's nice um partially because it starts to feel kind of weird around movie four that like there's not there's like no women who will like do more than one of these and yeah. what, what's going on there <laughs> yeah <laughs> so the fact that they bring on board a, a you know rebecca ferguson who is yeah. great by the way i'm yeah. upset that she's really good does not as much stunt work as tom cruise obviously but clearly some but she, she does all the fights herself yeah. like she's doing a lot of stunt work just no one's no one's at tom's level okay <laughs> like, come on come on it's tom cruise come on um so did you like ilsa, ilsa? i did i think I'm still wary because I really just don't want them to make that relationship romantic. And it feels like that's where it's going. I appreciate that there's already a two movie build up to that. At least it's not like out of the blue. Yeah, Cause in five and six, it's not in five. It's definitely not romantic. Yeah. They're sort of rivals who form a friendship. Mm-hmm. And in six, it's Ilsa is positioned as the woman Ethan cares most about after Julia, basically, yeah. or he's, she's in that same realm, but it's yeah. still not, Nothing romantic really happens. She yeah. just is, you know, her status as someone he really cares about is, is is put to the forefront. Yeah, and I would just love if that could be, like, a friendship thing. <laughs> like, in the way he cares about Luther and Benji. Yeah. Like, it's established that, like, like I think it's four that, like, Luther being in danger is what causes him to lose, or is that five? Six? That's six. Um, like, you know, like, he cares a lot about these people, and I, I, I would love for, like, the one woman on this sort of team of rogues or whatever that they've assembled to not be his romantic interest. Right. You know? Um, so I'm still really wary about that. I do love that she has agency in her own character and stuff. I would love another woman on this team. That would be amazing. <laughs> Kelsey, please. Come on now. Yes. Cause we have like a very brief pseudo interaction between Julia and her. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and Ilsa, Ilsa Faust, which by the way, they gave her a, 
equally ridiculous name as Ethan Hunt. I appreciate. We that. talked about last episode how I yeah. think Ethan Hunt is Ilsa a hilarious, Faust. a hilarious '90s like action hero name, and Ilsa yeah. Faust is kind of a hilarious. 2010s like yeah. heroin name yeah. Ilsa Faust. She sounds like a villain. Though. Ilsa Devil. <laughs> yeah, so we and we might as well just go ahead and just admit that we're talking about five and six as one thing because yeah. they are they kind of are. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's distinct movies and there I think six is, is it improves on five in a lot of ways, but mm-hmm. they again because Christopher McQuarrie is now at the helm and they really like again locked in a lot of stuff. Yeah. There is a, a lot of connection between five and six. Yeah. And I don't remember where I was going with that. Uh, Ilsa Faust. I don't know. I just, I like I liked her character, and I just I worry that she's gonna end up a romantic interest for Ethan. Like I honestly don't care if she's a romantic interest for anybody else. It's just that like I don't want their thing to become that, you yeah. know? Because it's like it's it's almost like nice that his like character has like female friends <laughs> so, yeah, it'd so be nice if we showed if we showed characters of the opposite genders of differing genders being friends with each other that would be nice even if they are attracted to that gender <laughs> so the, this entire thing of ethan becoming a more relatable character or trying to be made relatable yeah it's kind of interesting well i find it very interesting i wouldn't be talking about it because <laughs> in three we have this thing where he has a family and it, that's his, again next in favor of like he's about his job mm-hmm. but they really develop that in five and six in a way that's i think really actually gives him his a lot of grounding his team is because because five is all about yeah well five is about his you know his team is his family yeah. It's very Fast and Furious at this point because like yeah. like there's a whole running <laughs> joke in five about how, how how him and Benji are friends. Yeah. And and in the six, yeah, again in the opening of six, the entire plot of six is kicked off because Ethan's put in a position where he can either like save the world, like like get, get three nukes under control, or save Luther. Yeah. And for a moment he picks Luther, and yeah. then that sort of kicks off the entire string of events in number six mm-hmm. because Ethan as as as. Alec Baldwin puts it because he is back for number six as well. Uh, there's some sort of there's a fundamental flaw in Ethan's brain that won't let him choose between one life and millions. Yeah. He he takes the third way because it's a it's it's harder, but it's it's the right way to do things. And I think that is actually that's sort of where his characterization has landed for Ethan. I think that's the, maybe the best thing to do with him because one thing we've talked before about Tom Cruise can't really sell human emotions in the same way other actors can, but what he can sell is intense devotion to his job and to pursuit of his goals and to like vague ideals mm-hmm. and the idea that he will do things even if it's the hardest way to do something he it's will true. go after it it's true um because Can we just sort of move on to six now yeah well i wanted to address one thing in five yeah. which is mm-hmm. five and juices the main villain of five is solomon lane, lane. <laughs> solomon lane another very bible name <laughs> <laughs> uh solomon lane as the head of the syndicate which is basically the evil version of the imf <laughs> that's what it is essentially yeah well it's like former it's former imf agents. it's like former not just imf it's yeah. former intelligence agents who have banded together to sort of you know, i mean I, again, there, again, there again, are again, ideas to like change the status quo basically yeah like and and you know like big picture wise they don't have the wrong idea uh execution wise real bad yeah <laughs> solomon has a whole monologue to ethan where he says you know you want to maintain the old guard the old order but it's the old order is killing us and i'm trying yeah. to upset he things. basically has a speech that's like capitalism is dumb yeah <laughs> he's right he's right but he wants to like kill 
impoverished people to make that point. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, you know, execution-wise, not great. Yeah. (laughs) It's interesting because his plan in five is not the big end of the world thing from two or four. Yeah. It's it's more it's more aligned to the stakes of like number one where the where the the, the impact will be more grounded because Solomon Lane in, in in five is basically just trying to get access to the funds he needs to continue doing the terrorism he's been doing. Mm-hmm. He's not like gonna blow up the world with with nukes in the fifth one. <laughs> he does get around to it eventually. <laughs> Even then, he's not really gonna blow up the world. Yeah, but he's gonna cause chaos. Yeah, the greater the suffering, the greater the peace. Oh, so such a wrong... Faulty ideology. Faulty ideology. The thing is, they, they made Solomon Lane too right in the fifth movie. Yeah. They made him too, him too sensible, like yeah. Killmonger in Black Panther. Yeah. He's, he's too reasonable. <laughs> His point is too strong. So in the sixth movie, they had, they had to give him a bad ideology, which yeah. is that suf- great suffering is always followed by great peace. Which is just like the great to categorically The, the great to the suffering, the great to the peace. Yeah, when does that ever happen? <laughs> That's never once happened, Solomon. Uh. But... The, relating to Ethan's character, at the end of five, again, there's, there's a running thread throughout five that, oh, Ethan's just lucky. The IMF is just sort of bumming their way through stuff and, like, like faking their way out of these intense situations. So the, the, the crux of five is that Ethan gets a hold of this info that Solomon Lane has been looking for, which is, like, hundreds of hundreds of bank account numbers mm-hmm. and, and essentially memorizes all of them, so therefore making himself uh, too valuable to kill or to harm in any way. And you didn't quite buy that. Not really. <laughs> okay, so uh, that's fair because the idea of someone actually memorizing that many numbers it's like it's like in long, the time that he does it, right, is unbelievable. Yeah, like if you had a few days, maybe yeah. he but, has like an hour at most. Yeah, at most. And we only know he memorized one because he names yeah. one to yeah. Solomon. And it's possible he did only memorize that one. Yeah. But the thing is, we don't need to believe that he would actually do it. We need to believe that Solomon would believe it. Yeah. And everything Solomon has seen, which is Ethan dies again in this movie. He will go to extreme lengths to do to do his job. He will yeah. like put himself on the line. He will like risk life, limb, total annihilation. Mm-hmm. And this movie is there are moments when like you see the team starting to be like Ethan is nuts. Yeah. This guy's like, <laughs> you can just see it's not a big thing, but you can just see it in the way they look at him mm-hmm. and like respond to the things he says. Like, yeah. oh, he's he's out of his mind. Yeah. And and uh, I feel like. We have now Brant, Luther, and Benji, who are all, like, different levels of audience surrogate. Yeah. Where they're all just like, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Luther's like the guy who's been watching these movies since the first one. He's yeah, like, he's like uh, uh, Ethan's yeah. at it again. Yeah. Love it. Brant's like... Brant, the- Brant just came in, and he's just like... Yeah, Brant's almost like a studio surrogate. Yeah. He's like, wait, Ethan wants to do what? Tom Cruise wants to dangle himself off the side of a plane tom cruise wants to learn to breathe underwater for three minutes straight oh, right. which that's he, he did yeah he did i'm sure yeah the centerpiece of this movie the the great big action sequence the impossible part, mission part, as it part, were. part of it is ethan has to hold his breath for three minutes which tom cruise actually learned to do for the movie like it's there's a lot it's, it's kind of confusing because there's, there's a lot of cg in that scene yeah. but he really is underwater for three minutes like it was shot in one unbroken take and but, but apparently one of the stunt people said no tom actually learned to hold his breath for seven minutes honestly which is, i'd buy it i'd buy it exactly <laughs> so when solomon the is man con- is insane so when solomon lane is confronted with the idea that ethan would go through this insane impossible length to do his mission he believes it yeah and you believe that he believes you believe it. that he believes it yeah <laughs> by the way how again how it's not stressed in the same way as the burj khalifa scene from four 
but the moment where he underwater, where he's underwater, and he has to swap out. He has to swap out a card in the uh, this computer system, or Benji will die. Yeah. And the mission will fall apart. But more importantly, Benji will die. Benji will die. And there's a part. And he, we love Benji. And he pulls out the card, but then there's a moment where he gets hit by something, and he drops both cards. And they're like the same color, which and is dumb. Which is dumb. It's the most stressful thing. Oh, ever like it's, it's so it's, stressful <laughs> i've never seen that movie with someone with someone where they haven't gone ah! <laughs> in that moment it's i think my words at that point were like i need my stress scarf <laughs> that i put over my face when we're watching reality tv yeah, you, like, you like to hide your face away when we're i like to not have to stressful. look at things that are stressful <laughs> um but yeah that, that's five yeah moving on to six though six six fallout fallout boy Anyway. Oh, man. So what, 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 what can one say about Mission Impossible Fallout? I think Fallout is the best movie in the franchise. It is the... I saw it is it. a very close second for It's me. the first one I've seen in theaters. It was my one of my favorite movies last year that I saw. One of my favorite in-theater experiences ever. Oh, you can bet we are seeing the next two in theaters. Uh, 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 yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes. Um, Six keeps basically all the same actors from the, from the five. Jeremy Renner's not in this one because no. he had to go shoot... Endgame. Endgame and Infinity War, so he was yeah. understandably bliss- busy. Yeah. Um, and the way this franchise goes now, we might see him again. Maybe. I would hope. I would hope so. Yeah. He's part of the Macquarie era. Yeah. So I would assume that there's some plan for him if he wants to come back. Yeah. Um, we got. He's back, but he's no, sorry. He's not back. But Simon yeah. Pegg's back. Yeah. Luther's back. Yeah. Ilsa's back. Yeah. Alec Baldwin's back. Yep. And we got uh solomon lane is back like solomon i said lane is sean back. harris as solomon lane i should mention yeah and who we got who's who's the new new face in town we got henry cavill henry cavill big old mustache henry cavill and angela bassett yeah she's not in it too much she's great though yeah she's great and they're, yeah. they're introduced like walking down a hallway together and yeah. it's just the it just gets me jazzed up just thinking about that this movie <laughs> i just love this movie so much this movie was very good um this, like it's so hard to think of this movie and the fifth one separately right um it's very good henry cavill very good i think this movie has the best fight scene oh for sure for sure for sure that one in the bathroom yes like that's the best fight scene henry cavill sporting his mustache that cost warner brothers millions of dollars <laughs> because they he grew that for this movie and then they had to do reshoots on justice league which <laughs> is a whole other boondoggle we could get into <laughs> and they're they're like we'll we will pay you millions of dollars if you will shave your mustache off and i guess christopher mccord was like no no he needs the mustache which he does because henry cavill is not a great actor so his, his but he has a great mustache in this movie and he's committed he's committed <laughs> but that mustache is carrying a lot of the weight because spoiler i guess he's revealed to be the main villain of this yeah. movie and which, you like you can tell but you wouldn't buy it without the mustache i don't think you would i think you he would look too kind <laughs> too <laughs> chiseled he has a kind face but, you know, so that, that's why there's that weird CGI mouth stuff all over Superman and Justice League because he was headed for his mustache for this movie but um, yeah I think this movie has the best fight scene that that fight scene in yes. the bathroom with uh, Henry Cavill and um, Tom Cruise and Rebecca Ferguson and a guy I assume is like a very good like martial artist yes so the Bathroom fight scene with Tom Cruise, Henry Cavill, and stuntman Leong Yang, who was he did stunts for obviously Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he worked on Star Wars: Last Jedi, uh, Rogue One. Uh, he was a former on Mission Impossible: Rogue Nation as well. So he's a stunt guy. Yeah. And this is um this is I think was is 
I, I really love that it's just a, basically a stuntman who is yeah. doing an entire like fight sequence. He's like the center of the sequence. Yeah, I mean, I think and that's does, part of you know Tom Cruise is now lifelong uh, crusade to get stunt yeah. people recognized. Well, I, I'm, I'm saying if, <laughs> yeah. if if Tom Cruise is like along with you know help from Christopher McQuarrie, yeah, who is the one who actually like in an interview said like we should have a best stunt work Oscar. Yeah, it was actually Christopher. Uh, sorry, Mr. McQuarrie. I shouldn't. I'm not on a first name basis with him. Chris, Chris, I says. <laughs> um, if, if, that, if that's Tom Cruise's lasting legacy is to yeah. draw attention to the work of stunt people yeah. by basically being the, the 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 most famous stuntman in the world, yeah. I think that'd be a pretty good legacy for Tom Cruise. Me too. It probably won't be his legacy, unfortunately. But, but yeah, but no, I think that would be a good a good legacy for yeah. him. And I don't know if it's like if these movies actually have that effect on people. Because mm-hmm. honestly, when I'm like watching them, I'm, I'm not thinking necessarily. Oh man, stunt people do some wild stuff out there. Yeah. I'm thinking like I'm thinking like Tom Cruise is gonna die. He's gonna <laughs> die one day, and we're all gonna see it. Yeah. Uh, but if I take a step back and think, oh, Tom Cruise is doing that, but some people do that in every movie I see. Yeah. Basically, uh, it really puts things in a new light. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the best fight sequence. Yeah, I think this, in the whole whole series. Yeah, it's it's the, it's the best hand to hand fight. Like no yeah. question. There's not there's not really a lot of competition, honestly. Yeah. Also has that great moment where Henry Cavill cocks his fists. <laughs> and you might have missed this, Kelsey, but in the, in the trailer. <laughs> that that is accompanied by an actual like gun cocking sound. Nice. <laughs> which unfortunately is not in the actual movie. Oh. But you still have the moment where he sort of like it's like if you were trying to like like cuff your your like shirt real quick, but if you did it like twice and then like before and then like put it into open like an, into a 1930s boxer stance. That's what he does. And he's, he's just a big old giant man. He's a very big man. And Tom Cruise is a tiny little dude. Yeah. Th- I think that also like really just sells this whole the whole pairing is yeah. that like like Henry Cavill is tall. Yeah. And Tom Cruise is short. And they don't really hide that Tom Cruise is shorter than Henry Cavill. Which I appreciate. They don't highlight it, but they don't really, like... Yeah. They're not doing any sort of, like, Lord of the Rings shit. Yeah. But they're trying to, like, make him look like he's the same height as... Yeah. He's not. He's a... Henry Cavill's a big, giant, beefy man with a <laughs> huge mustache. He's throwing people around left and right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just... It's really good. It was really good. It has that. And I think the the, th- the one thing that really hurts... Hurts... Rogue Nation for me because Rogue Nation has both the the impossible mission sequence in the middle mm-hmm. middle point. It also has the the opera sequence, yeah. which is among the best just pieces of pure filmmaking in the entire yeah. series, even if it's not like the most exciting action packed yeah. sequence. And I think the ending of Rogue Nation is still pretty good in the way it sort of like calls back to the beginning and like. But the the climax is it's not too exciting. It's, it's basically like crazy like exciting. it's like a two minute gunfight. Yeah, it's kind of whatever. Yeah, Mission Impossible Fallout. Builds to an amazing crescendo. Yes. Entirely, entirely like last half hour is one long action sequence with multiple threads. Because there's two, basically there's two bombs. There's two bombs. There's two bombs. Henry Cavill's got the detonator. Most of the team is back um, trying, to, trying to defuse the bombs. Yeah. Tom, Ethan has to go after Henry Cavill. <laughs> to do so, he both dangles himself from an actual flying helicopter <laughs> And then gets inside the helicopter, and actually, real life Tom Cruise flies a helicopter. <laughs> Tom Cruise learned to fly a helicopter. We have totally passed over the most terrifying stunt and most like bonkers thing in this entire movie, you in this entire you, franchise. You don't think Tom Cruise learned learning to fly a helicopter and the developing an entire new kind of camera rig to prove to people that he did it? The that, fucking halo jump is the most oh my is God. the thing. Come on, Jason. I'm sorry, I forgot about that. Yeah, like Tom Cruise learned to fly a helicopter, new camera break, crazy. But he literally jumped out of a plane from space. Yes. And made a camera guy do it with him. Tom Cruise <laughs> does a high altitude, low orbit, 
low opening, sorry, low yeah. opening jump, a halo jump, which is basically a, a you know, if you've seen that, that thing where that Red Bull guy did the, uh, the jump from space. Yeah. It's basically that. Yeah. And Tom Cruise really did it. <laughs> he really fucking he did re- it. And when I first saw it, I didn't know he really did it because yeah. I, I should have known better. But yeah. I was like, I was like, no way. This must be CG. Yeah. There's no, there's no way Tom Cruise actually did a, did a halo jump. <laughs> But he did. He fucking He's did. He's really up there. And they like you you don't notice at first, but like the the aspect ratio of the shot changes mm-hmm. because they're using like a, a some sort of crazy camera rig <laughs> to shoot it. It's the first time in the entire series where they've shot on digital. Yeah. Which is one of the things I also appreciate about these movies that they're they are all shot on film. film. Yeah. And they this this movie is shot on not only film and digital for that one sequence, but there's multiple sequences that are in IMAX, which looks great in the theater looks kind of weird on on home video Mm -hmm. but i do kind of appreciate it because the like the framing and the direction the cinematography all that stuff is still on point Mm -hmm. like it's not sloppy or you know kind of confusing the way like like the imax stuff and like the dark knight is yeah it still looks really good and clear and still following the same like clear storytelling as the rest of the movie but it's yeah, basically, the, this image fills up the entire screen in these yeah. moments. And Another thing I really appreciate about these movies, or this movie in particular, and, like, it's part of what I also appreciate about, like, the Fast and Furious movies, is, like, a lot of the action takes place during the day. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't have to, like, we're, our eyes are not straining to, like, see what's happening. <laughs> Which I feel like in a lot of action movies, it's, like, all, like, night scenes. And, like, like the Bourne movies are terrible for that. <laughs> Everything takes place at night it's dumb it's not that's not totally true but it's all it's very dark but and and i appreciate these movies are like well lit <laughs> yeah it's because you they, can see all the action because they want you to see what's happening they want you to know because they want you to know tom cruise he did, he did that. that tom cruise did that broke his ankle which he, one was that in that's this one that's this one yeah he's really oh, that's some there's so many good sequences in this movie there's yeah. the, cha- the chase scene after Alec baldwin dies sad oh sad <laughs> he, he joins the team from and he gets to do a bunch of cool quips and like he does yeah Alec baldwin is great in these movies he really and is his arc from hating imf to being a devout believer in the religion of ethan hunt is yeah. fantastic he's and the hilarious. leader of the imf a whole <laughs> movie later yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, a real, it's a real quick turnaround for, yeah. for but you buy it you buy it because yeah. he sees like so these movies have not really had a lot of romantic stuff in yeah. them since the third one which i appreciate every movie now has one character who's like starts off being like ethan hunt he ain't shit. who like buys into it by the and then, end but then, yeah. but then they see ethan hunt do a bunch of nonsense yeah and they're like man ethan hunt, he he really is yeah that's like he's the real deal that's like brant in the fourth one is that is alec baldwin in the fifth one yeah and there's honestly there's the henry cavill in the it's, no one. it totally is henry cavill the, in, the it, villain is one who's like ethan hunt whatever why yeah Ethan Hunt? he's like why is solomon lane hate this guy so yeah. much like he's like like a Solomon Lane is back and he's sort of both. It's really interesting. That cause, scene is great, cause, actually. Because Solomon Lane comes back and is like, he still wants to do the mission they're trying to do, which is like yeah. blow up a nuclear bomb and like mm-hmm. contaminate the water supply, mm-hmm. great suffering, great peace, blah, 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 blah. et cetera, et cetera. But also he just hates Ethan Hunt, mm-hmm. which you totally buy because he totally was outsmarted by Ethan in the fifth movie and he's mm-hmm. clearly so mad about it. He grew a whole angry beard because of it. <laughs> and so he's, he's fueled by that and, and, and and Henry Cavill, John Lark, I forget his fake name. He's actually his real name is John Lark. Hammer. He is the hammer. He is the. His hammer. name's not hammer. They, could, they call him the hammer. They one call point. him the hammer. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's something dumb. Uh, August Walker. <laughs> August Walker. Oh boy. So yeah, basically he's he's sort of chewing out. He's he's mad at Langs. He's like, why do you hate this guy so much? It's not a big deal. He's just a fucking guy. 
And then by the end, like, like Henry Cavill's like face is melting off, and he's literally like, screaming, "Why won't you die, Ethan? <laughs> Why won't you just die?" It's amazing. It's great. They they hate him. They really do. <laughs> Bad guys hate him. Yeah. Learn I- learn the one weird trick Ethan Hunt used <laughs> to stop world the world annihilation. And yeah, I do I do appreciate that aspect of it. Like, here's a super competent character who's doing this like impossible shit, and like the main arc character arc for at least one character is like oh no he's actually doing that shit it's not all talk <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's sort of is that's the weird thing about these movies is they, they as they move away from the traditional means you would use to, to humanize a character like ethan hunt mm-hmm. he becomes more alien because they're more embracing that he's just a crazy person who, mm-hmm. who, who will do anything to do his job mm-hmm. but that really makes him more human in a yeah, way yeah it's so strange because they give him a really like solid motivation and like the way that it affects his personality and you yeah. see it like begin to actually like and that that applies to him saving luther mm-hmm. it's the same ethos of like i will do whatever it takes no matter what the cost but applied to like i'm gonna save my friend's life yeah that that's important to me yeah and if it means i have to improvise an entire two and a half hour movie to stop this this bomb from going off i'll do it i'll do it um i also my favorite thing not my favorite thing well one of my favorite things about this movie is like the really weirdly healthy relationship that like ethan and julia seem to have this is the thing this is what really finally this is what sent cements like julia as a character and as like a oh good for this yes. franchise for doing this because you find out that part of the reason why they've the um bad guys have chosen this location is because yeah. solomon again wants to punish ethan because he just hates him so much yeah. uh, because julia's there mm-hmm. because julia has if they, as they explain this movie luther gives some more backstory mm-hmm. sort of builds up on the thing that was introduced in the fourth movie julia is now like basically traveling all over the world mm-hmm. doing good stuff she's like a doctor's without borders basically yeah. she's like helping people out across yeah. the world and she like occasionally is like in touch with not really in touch with ethan but like lets yeah. him know she's okay mm-hmm. and that's apparently and, like, they established that she was like helping with the smallpox breakout or whatever that was yeah. part of solomon's plot or whatever yeah, yeah. and they they sort mm-hmm. of they they kind of it's a bit of a retcon but i think it's a good one they mm-hmm. sort of in luther's in luther's explanation it's less that ethan like oh had to yeah, I had to do this to keep to keep Julia safe. Mm-hmm. More, more that it's that's the two of them realized that it didn't work out. Yeah, that they didn't work together as a couple. That they knew them were, you know, happy together. Yeah. and Julia was like, we they couldn't to- do their jobs and be together and be happy. Yeah. and fulfilled. And Julia also realized that and was also part of this. Yeah, you know, made this decision along with Ethan to sort mm-hmm. of split up and establish this weird sort of life for herself. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, she comes back and she sort of is placed in danger in the final act. Mm-hmm. And her and Ethan have a reunion. Uh, but the, the the thing for me is not that she's, you know, in, in danger of being blown up, although I would hate to see that. Yeah. It's that Ethan meets her and her new husband, who's also, like, part of this Doctors Without Borders group. Mm-hmm. And they, they it's really nice. It's really nice. Like, the new husband is, like, a nice, cool guy. Yeah. He's, he's very just genuinely, like, cool to Ethan. Yeah. He's not a... He's not bad. He's not a jerk. And he, like, knows something's up. <laughs> he's, like, he's, like, a hot, cool doctor. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and, like, it's, like... Ethan is happy for the movie is happy for Julia. Yeah, and she has a whole speech at the end where Ethan's like, "I'm sorry, I dragged you into this." She's like, "No, because of you and because of your impact on my life, mm-hmm. I learned that this is what I want to do with my life, and I'm yeah. actually very fulfilled now, all because of you." So you know, we're cool. We're cool. And it's like it's like it is the healthiest depiction of a of, oh. of an ex marriage ever, ever on screen, ever. And it really, and it feels I, good. It feels good. It feels it, good. It really it moves me. I don't know. It's a it, no, like it did. It's like it's like this is so. I don't. Maybe it's like wish fulfillment on Tom Cruise's part. <laughs> um, but it's like it. It feels really, really good to have this character who 
I think stereotypically in action movies would have been fridged or like if she had been put into hiding, it would have been like his sole motivation to protect her. And it would have been for her own good to, to be here. She would have been disposable. She would have been very disposable to have her have her own life and her own story and her like, you know, this. And also like the idea of a marriage ending, not being a total failure, which like I have a lot of feelings about like, like relationships end marriages sometimes end but that doesn't mean they didn't happen and that they and like good stuff didn't come out of them and like i really appreciate that depiction of 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 a marriage that ended as like something that you know brought good into both these people's lives um so i just like it was really nice yeah (laughs) also michelle monaghan's just great to have around and she's like on screen for a lot of the the finale of the movie and it's just nice to see her again her and luther talking was like my favorite that like that thread of the the climax (laughs) is so great and like uh benji and and uh ilsa listening to that (laughs) conversation (laughs) so yeah and so in the end again the the entire like it's so good there's a there's a little like ticking clock in the finale about these bombs going off and they they truly draw it out to like the last possible moment. Yeah. Like they really like like you're not you're not totally sure that Ethan's done it until like I don't know. The, the way until they he pa- does it. The way they pace it out is really, really clever, yeah. I think. But I think the thing that really I didn't even notice the first time I saw it, but on this watch I really appreciated this. Yeah. Among the many, many callbacks to previous, you know, movies in the franchise, this movie includes a callback to the second movie. The worst movie. Yeah. The least good one. Yeah. The one, that, the one that you would most easily be like, okay, we're going to forget this ever happened. Yeah. But no. Because in the finale, <laughs> after an, a, a truly, truly ridiculous series of circumstances where Ethan crashes his helicopter into John Lark's. <laughs> helicopter, yes. And he and, and, he and the, uh, Henry Cavill are like fighting on the side of a cliff. He ends up dangling over, over the side of a cliff. And he's yeah. like, he like he's, he's, he has to hang off the side. Yeah. And he's, he's, on a, he's on a tether. Yeah. But he's got to get up there. Mm-hmm. So what does he do? Free solo, free solo, free solo baby. <laughs> and we know, we believe that he can because we saw him we saw practicing him five movies ago. Five movies ago. And and there's even, I this might be unintentional, but I swear that when he first begins to free solo in, in this movie. There's like a same there's like There's like a re- reverse of the shot where he first is. Yeah. Because in the second movie, it zooms in on him on the mountainside. Mm-hmm. And this movie, there's sort of a zoom and pan out. Yeah. I think really mirrors that. And that's like, that's brilliance, baby. Chris, 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 buddy, Chris, my, my dude, my dude. See, it, it is, you know, it, it's the same level of filmmaking, the same like chemistry between both the actors and the mm-hmm. creative team as the fifth one. But that climax is so it's, it's definitely spectacular. A, a much better climax. Yeah. That, it re- that really puts it over the edge for me. Yeah. That and Henry Cavill with that big old bushy mustache. <laughs> I think I still like Rogue Nation better. So your ranking is five, six, four, three, three, one, two. One, two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of there. I put six higher. Yeah. But I'm kind six of there Six and as five well. are so close. You yeah. Honestly, three and one are close for me because I just yeah. appreciate the, I think there's more precision in the filmmaking in one. Three is a little bit, you know, it's J.J. Abrams, so it's a little bit yeah. all over the place. But it's, but I just have such an affection for three, partially because when I watch three now with mm-hmm. the knowledge of how ethan and julia's marriage plays out mm-hmm. it really does feel like oh this is a real thing mm-hmm. they're really like this isn't a throwaway subplot this is like really part of the universe of these movies yeah which is just nice to have that little bit of you know because these movies are mostly surface pleasure of watching people Action. get in and out of crazy scrapes yeah but having that little emotional through line that yeah. really is like 
again the the filmmakers actually like really follow through on it in a way that, that strengthens what came what came before and like solidifies it yeah. and so three i now have added affection of it for for that reason yeah. i think like for me um three like the the like plot and the writing and the like level of filmmaking all are like on the same level whereas i kind of feel a little bit with one that like the plot and the writing are and the acting somewhat are like <laughs> down down here and the filmmaking is like like the direction is like higher mm-hmm. like right. it's a very like well-directed movie but the plot and the the like the acting don't necessarily meet that level right. Does that make sense? Yeah, because the direction in five and six and and four, four in a lot of ways yeah. is is of a you know is on the on the same level in terms of like suspense and action anyway. Yeah. As as one, mm-hmm. um, I mean they don't have the the wacky De Palma stuff that yeah. De Palma does, but that's fine. Uh, but there's more like there's more heart to it. Yeah. There's more like characters that you enjoy watching. Yeah, I feel like you know like the one they've like I think it's mostly like the writing and sort of the character development. Like they know who Ethan's character is now and like have worked around how Tom Cruise portrays him to like really build into that heart, you know, like, whereas like you kind of go into one, not really caring about any of the characters. Like you want to, but you don't really. Yeah. And you, uh, you, and you can't don't... have four through six without one. Exactly. Mm-mm. And you couldn't have, you know, these, these are movies are not really, you know, these are not really character driven movies, obviously. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, one, especially, um, but you wouldn't, uh, yeah, you know, and but you couldn't. You also couldn't have six movies in a franchise unless you started to have something human to connect to. Right. Like, you wouldn't go back to if these movies were all as like sort of cold and kind of like clinical and a little bit like awkward in terms of human interaction as one is. You wouldn't want to go see it. You'd get. I mean, you might enjoy seeing Brian De Palma for six straight movies. I guess just go nuts on spy stuff. <laughs> yeah. That might be fun, but you wouldn't really have the same affection for them. And again, these pe- people aren't seeing these movies because they like the characters, but. Well, I mean, I feel like I am now. There, there, you're, you're not not doing it. Yeah. That, that's why. Like, I don't, I don't go see the Fast and Furious movies for the car chases. Exactly. <laughs> if it was just like car chases. Yeah. Well, those movies truly would not have any reason to exist without the character relationships. Like these yeah. movies, at least, if you removed the context, like you could still go into five or six without seeing the previous ones. It yeah. wouldn't have as much impact on you, but right. you could still do it. Yeah. If you tried to see you know fate of the furious about any previous knowledge you'd be like you wouldn't know what you were seeing yeah (laughs) it would be be indecipherable yeah that's why i knew when five around the time five or four or five kicked in when they started really Mm -hmm. focusing on the characters Mm -hmm. i knew you would appreciate it more because you are i think more drawn to character driven stuff it's true whereas i'm you know in in movies anyway i'm I'm, i'm a little more willing to sort of let go like not that doesn't matter so much to me. I think I, you understand, like, filmmaking in a way that I don't. Like, I mean, you studied film, didn't you? Yeah, technically. <laughs> like, I didn't go to film school or anything, but I do have a... Yeah, I have more of a... Yeah, I, 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 I don't want to say I know more than you do. I'm no, I think you I, just... You have more of a theoretical, like, understanding of how movies are made than I do. I'm just more I interested in, in theory and criticism than you are, I think. Yeah. I just, it's, it's something I read for pleasure. Yeah. I mean, like, I think that I could say the same thing about, like, you know, visual art for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think, I think that's, you know, I just, you know, you understand that better. And I think it helps you appreciate movies in different ways than I appreciate it's, them. It's weird. You're putting this very well. It's weird that we're just now delineating this. It feels <laughs> like a pretty important thing for us to, like, of all the movies we've talked about? About, about our <laughs> dynamic up front. Um, 
Yeah, no, you're right. Good movies. Good movies. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed them. I did. I, I liked them a lot. I was worried the Tom Cruise-ness of it might put you off a bit, um, which would I be fair. I kind of feel like but by 4, 5, and 6, he's just sort of there. And like you can't not respect like the physical shit that he's doing. Right. It's like even if you hate Tom Cruise, you still yeah. you can't not be impressed when he does a halo jump. Yeah. Like, like yeah. My question that we were talking about after we watched the last movie, like, what what else can happen? Like, what else can they do? Right, because they are filming two more movies back yeah. to back. Christopher McQuarrie, of course, is back. Yeah. I don't know much beyond that. I know I know Rebecca Ferguson is back for both movies, or at least for the, the ones, whatever they're filming right now. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, the question is, what can happen? What can happen? What else can they do? Well, you can always say, like, the thing for the, this, when this comes up for Fast and Furious, the thing is always like, oh, they can go to space, you know? And like I said here, but they kind of already they went to space. They kind of already went to space. Like, Ethan, like, Tom Cruise got as close to space as a person can get without dying. <laughs> uh, and also, he, he went underwater for, like, three straight minutes without dying. <laughs> it's crazy. So I guess they're going to have to set him on fire next time. Probably. They could, what they, can Tom Cruise do next? I guess they could actually kill Tom Cruise for a minute of screen time. Because <laughs> in two movies now, he's died and been revived. I guess they could actually kill him this time. So they could actually kill Tom Cruise. They could set him on fire. They could, I don't know, <laughs> amputate a limb and then reattach it. What what new big cast member are they going to bring in next? Ooh, good question. Like, who's going to be the next Alec Baldwin? Ooh, yeah. Yeah, because they always have, you have to have a director of the IMF. Right. Or like a secretary or someone in the mm-hmm. authority position. I don't know, because I never would have guessed Alec Baldwin would be in these movies, but he is, and he's, he's great. Right. Who would you want to see? Well, we've already had Lawrence Fishburne. Right. Um... I like Keith David. I feel like he's a bit of a step down after Alec Baldwin, though, to be honest. Because Keith David's great, but he doesn't have the same authority as like a Lawrence Fishburne or an Alec Baldwin character. What like actor. typically comedic actor do you think could take uh, take that on? Well, I guess he'd be more of like a like a boy genius role, like John Mulaney. That'd be fun. The youngest ever head of the IMF. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Uh, oh, so John, no. John Mulaney is just like a foil to Benji. Like Benji's annoying. Like he like got promoted back at the headquarters, and Benji's out in the field. Benji just hates him. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'd be fun. <laughs> I like John Mulaney. Yeah, more John Mulaney. Um, okay, actual thing that could happen. Uh, Pat Oswalt. Yeah, yeah. He could show up. Yeah, I mean, there, there's. I don't know if there's much room. Like Benji sort of really feels like the nerdy, yeah, non-actiony role pretty pretty heavily. So I don't know where there'd be room for Pat Oswalt, but he's great. Yeah. I like him. I like to see more like a like a like a Tony Jaw character, like a okay. not, like a like a full on martial artist would be good. That would be great. Because the stunt the stunt guy uh, Liang Yang in, in this movie he is was very great. good. I mean that a, that fight scene is so good. A, a character that did stuff like that like like a bigger role like yeah. a big name like or or big enough to you know. Who's the guy who's in Rogue One? Donnie Yen. Donnie Yen, yes, Donnie Yen. That'd be good. Right. Because he had like some funny moments in Rogue One. Like like he's a good actor. Yeah. He's a martial artist, though, too, right? Did I make that up? I didn't make that up. Yeah, he, he is martial arts. He is. Yes. He's very good. Anyone anyone you would like to see? I don't know. I think... Uh, I mean, obviously, more ladies. Yeah. I, think I always I, want more ladies. I would love to bring back, like, one of the old cast that's good. I, like, I would love to see Maggie Q and John Reese Myers back, just, either, just for fun. Either of them again yeah. would be great, honestly. Um... Yeah, I think there's 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 so much room to expand the universe now. Right. Um that like yeah, I would love to see I would love to see Paul Patton back, love to see Maggie Q or John Reese 
uh, Myers back. Um, I can't believe I have to wait till 2021 to see the next one. Right. <laughs> but then the, the eighth one comes out a year later. Yeah. So it seems back. like it's probably going to be like a like truly a two-part movie yeah. type thing. Mission Impossible Infinity War, baby. Mission Impossible Mockingjay Part 1. I would love to see like a like a Gillian Anderson or like an Emma Thompson in the or like yeah Emma Thompson in like the Alec Baldwin role. Mm, mm, that'd be good. Right. That'd be very good. I like Emma Thompson. Right. I'd like to see um, Tom Cruise like spun around really fast. <laughs> like if they could like like if he's Put like him in like an office chair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like like t- tie him up with twine and then just like. <laughs> I'm well, I'm picturing like a, like a, like a gravitron like sure, those, those yeah. things, but he's like on the outside of it. <laughs> Right, that seems pretty good. Yeah, or like like one of those really high swing he has things. To, he has to, he hang. has to like hang from it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Mission Impossible goes to the carnival. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, do you have any final thoughts? It's good. They're good. The movies are good. Cool. Good movies. Good movies. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good the, work. The missions are impossible. The movies are good. <laughs> Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to enjoy six, five movies <laughs> of varying quality. Yes. Special thanks to Danny About of the Weeping Willards for use of their song, Outside in the Rain, from their self-titled album, available to download on Bandcamp. Special thanks to Carly Sussman, who designed our logo. You can find her work at carly-rose.com. If you'd like to, like us on Facebook and Twitter. Leave us a review, a nice review, if, you, if you'd like. Yes. A nice review would be great. A nice that'd, review would be nice. great. I mean, Leave you know, us a nice review. I'm not your boss, but... Come on. Tell a friend. Do a good one. Do a good review. Please listen to Andrew Ninja Warrior. It's good. Our, 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 our partner podcast mm-hmm. hosted by my wife and her friend. And my friend. Andrew Favolo. He's also my friend. Andrew <laughs> Favolo. Sarah and Andrew. I'm not married to anybody on that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> listen to it. It's fun. It's fun. Andrew tries to be on an American Ninja Warrior. Sarah tries to do a pull-up. It's a good show. We've mentioned it before. Surely. Whatever. I'm sorry. It's really hot in here. Let's move on. Let's move on. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, that is it. That's it. We're done. Oh, wait. No. I want, fade I want, out? I want, I want, to, I want to fade out. Yeah, fade out over, over chatter. I want to pitch a new um, a new ending catchphrase for you. For me? Specifically? I want to pitch it to you for us. Okay. For, for us to you on air. We don't like happy holidays anymore? I like it, but there's another thing we've been circling as our recurring theme that we did not touch on this episode. But I want to make sure we get into every episode. And that is the importance of, of mental health <laughs> and maintaining your mental Go health. Go to therapy. And, and then like, and yes. I'm into it. I love it. Okay. So signing off from, from Podland is it's me, Jason. Me, Kelsey. As a reminder. Go, go to, to ther- therapy. <laughs> they wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up. Can't let them get to me And even though I always fuck my life up Only I can mention me They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up Can't let them get to me And even though I always fuck my life up Only I can mention me Only I can mention me, only I can mention me. You also don't want to fall into the, um,
the Fast and Furious trap where you're bringing back villains and making them good guys because because you just ran out of ideas, I guess. <laughs> like, anyway. like imagine like Brent teaming up with Solomon Lane, and they have their own spinoff movie. That's basically what Hobbs and Shaw is. <laughs> I like, mean, yeah, like I feel like Brent is the like a reluctant, the Hobbs, a reluctant ally, and like someone who devote their entire life to to killing the main character. And then, actually, I kind of want to see that. Now. <laughs> I want to see them like try to like like Jason Statham up, uh, uh, Sean Harris. <laughs> Where he's like wisecracking with. Yeah, I feel like you 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 would have to do it with like Henry Cavill though. Like I feel like that's. I don't want that. I don't want to see. I that. feel like that's the character who's primed for. I want that, I want creepy like European sounding, super beardy, <laughs> just hates Ethan Hunt more than anything <laughs> anyone has ever hated anyone before. Sorry. So yeah, yeah, that's my pitch for this one. <laughs> okay. Uh, Brant and Lane. <laughs> Brant and Lane. Mission, Mission Impossible, Impossible presents Brant and Lane. Again, and he runs fucking funny. Again, his <laughs> running is so good. He has so much. We didn't even talk about the running. Oh my god. <laughs>